You're listening to the Truth About Bible Study taught by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. In our series called The Truth About, and we've been talking about a number of issues, trying to figure out what the Bible says in these areas. Again, it's not what I believe, or not even what Baptist Church believes, or what our church believes. What we're trying to do is find out what the Bible teaches in these areas. But as we've seen, as we've noticed, a lot of these areas are very controversial. I was thinking about last week, I thought it's kind of taboo in most places to speak about religion or to speak about politics. And last week we did in our church a sermon or a a lesson on politics. And so it was kind of a, a, we're just hitting the taboo as many times as we can. We're hitting all the areas that you're supposed to avoid. Um, But I think it's important for us to just go to where the Bible says about these things so that when we make our own decisions and when we speak about them with others, we're not just thinking about what we've always been taught or we always thought or what what we were kind of ingrained in us when we were kids, but we start to try and think biblically about these issues. And what does the Bible say? And it's good. It's okay. it's, It's a right thing to change your thinking and your opinion when you see that the Bible teaches differently. This week I thought we would give ourselves a little bit of a reprieve from the constant, um, really controversial topic theme we've been on. (laughs) Some of you are very upset about that and some of you are probably breathing a sigh of relief. Um, This week we're going to be talking about celebrating Christmas and other holidays or other holy days. And I don't think there's a whole lot controversial in this, but I could be wrong. And maybe one of you will take great offense to what I say. And so we'll just see. If, if that's true, uh, make sure you put up your hand and we'll chat about it. All right? So why don't we pray and then we'll get into our lesson. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you that you're a great God to us, that you are a great God, that you are our Father, um, that you love us. And God, I thank you for your word, that it guides and directs us and teaches us truth, that we have something to, we can build our lives on, something that's firm, that's perfect, that's inerrant, that... Um, it's not subject to our feelings changing and the um, popular opinion of society, but that it's eternal. And Lord, I thank you for an eternal truth. God, I pray that you'd help us as we think about just this Christmas season and how we celebrate these holidays, that um, we celebrate things in our faith. I pray that you'd help us to think biblically about them and that um, because of our discussion today, our celebration over Christmas will be more glorifying to you. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll be speaking about Christmas this morning and about other holy days and how they're celebrated. What I thought we'd do is, potentially, we'll see how this goes, but maybe we would talk about it today and I would give some ideas about what I think and what the Bible teaches. And then maybe next week we'd have a little bit of time where I would ask you to share ways that you as a family, or you have in the past, or you think you, you wish you did, um, incorporate more of Chris, Christianity in the celebration of Christmas. And some of the ways that your family has done that, maybe. So I'll ask you that um, potentially at the end of this lesson, if we have time, or maybe next week, if we don't get time this week. So what are holy days? Well, often we say holidays, and everybody knows what we're talking about, but, but obviously this week we're not just talking about you know, the family day that we celebrate in, in February, or Martin Luther King Jr. Day, or um, the Queen's birthday. We're talking about days that are somehow attached to a religion, or specifically for us, Christianity. 
So that's what we're talking about when we talk about holy days. Um, The Jews have many holy days. They celebrate the Passover feast, the Feast of Weeks, which is also called Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, the Day of Atonement, Purim, Hanukkah, Rosh Hashanah. We could could go on and on and and discuss just different holidays that the Jews celebrate. Um, These are their holy days. So what are the Christian holy days that we celebrate? Well, we all know of Easter, but within Easter, there's a whole lot of days that we could celebrate and, and, and say that they are holy days. We could call Lent, the, the 40 days of preparation for Easter, a, a time of um, special recognition where uh, Christians take that time to prepare themselves for the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We could talk about Palm Sunday, Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and celebrate that. We could talk about Maundy Thursday, and does anybody know a lot about Monday Thursday? Sounds kind of like Monday Monday Thursday, but it's not Monday Thursday. It's Monday Thursday, and it comes from the Latin word mandatum, which is mandate. And so it is Christ giving his mandate to the disciples on the Thursday before. And that's the time that he washed their feet. That's the time that he celebrated the Lord's Supper. That's the time that, that he gave them a lot of the commands of what they're going to be doing. And so it's his mandate. And a lot of Christian traditions celebrate Monday, Thursday, because they're just reminding themselves that all of what's to come, his death and burial and resurrection, it comes with it some type of command, a mandate for us. Then we have Good Friday, certainly. Day of Christ's death, we have Ascension Day, the day that, or sorry, we have actual Easter Sunday, Christ's resurrection. And then we have Ascension Day, which is the day that Christ rose um, from this earth back to heaven. Um, That was 40 days after his death. Then there's Pentecost, which is 50 days after um, his death. And that's the day that we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit came on and in uh, believers and empowered them to do the work, the mandate that God had called them to do. So that's Easter. We have um, Valentine's Day. Some people celebrate it as a Christian holiday. I don't know, it's St. Valentine. Um, I don't celebrate that one as a Christian holiday specifically, but some do. Um, there's All Saints Day, which is just celebrating believers that have gone before. Um, some people celebrate the evening before All Saints Evening, or All Hallows Evening, or Halloween. Depends on how you want to call it, but it, it has some Christian roots or Christian tradition attached to it. Um, and then certainly we celebrate Christmas. How many people knew that this Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent? Yeah. How many people knew that last Friday was Black Friday? <laughs> How many people knew that this Monday is Cyber Monday? No. Okay, so we can we can get a generation gap here a little bit in your answers. Um, More information on these things. <laughs> and so Advent is the time again that we prepare ourselves for Christ being born, Christ coming into this earth to save us. And so today what I want to do is I want to focus on Christmas and how we celebrate Christmas, but I think a lot of the principles that we'll talk about will apply to a lot of these other holidays that we've just mentioned. What should a Christian do with Christmas? Well, believe it or not, there are a number of people that call themselves Christians and many evangelical, truly evangelical Christians who do not believe that we should celebrate Christmas. 
And they have some reasons for that. So what I want to do is I want to go through these six reasons for not celebrating Christmas. I'm not going to advocate that this is a position you should take, but if you feel led to, it's your decision. Um, I want to give you just an idea of why some people wouldn't, so that when we talk about some of the biblical principles that should surround it, we understand why we're talking about those things. That it's not just this obvious, you know, you can do whatever you want because you're in Christ. You should actually think these things through. And so here are six reasons some Christians believe we should not celebrate Christmas. Number one, the pagan origins of Christmas. When we look at the decorations that we often use, We don't know this, we might not realize this, but many of those things were originally used in pagan festivals or to celebrate pagan holidays. So you have bells, you have the candles, you have the holly, you have the gift exchanging, you have Christmas trees, you have yuletide decorations. Um, All of these things are uh, somehow connected to pagan worship before they were Christianized. And so the fact that those things originally were pagan things, they say, well, now they're celebrated, we're using pagan rituals and traditions to bring into Christmas time, and, and somebody would, might say, we shouldn't do that. We should never bring what's secular and pagan and worldly and make it a part of some type of Christmas um, celebration. And so we should avoid it because of the pagan origins of Christmas. Number two, we should avoid Christmas because uh, Christmas trees are evil. Christmas trees are evil. <laughs> um, Now, you might be surprised about this, and as I, again, I just said that pagans have used them. In fact, pagans have worshipped trees, and part of their worship of trees was decorating them. And so that is a real pagan origin. But even more so, what a lot of Christians would say is that the Bible forbids you from having a Christmas tree. Jeremiah chapter 10. If you want to turn there, you can turn to Jeremiah chapter 10. It says, Hear ye the word which the Lord speaks unto you, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, Learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them. Verse 3. For the customs of the people are vain. For one cuts a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with an axe. They deck it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers that it move not. And later on, it talks about them bringing this tree into their home. And the idea here is that what these, what these people are doing is they're cutting a tree down, putting it in their home, and decorating it. And he says, this is vain, and this is wrong, and this is the practice of the heathen. And Israel, you ought not to do that because you're children of God. And some people will look at that text and say, that forbids Christmas trees. Now, in order to get the context a little bit, we've got to continue to read. And in verse 6, it says, For as much as there is none like unto thee, O Lord, thou art great, and thy name is great in might. Who would not fear thee, O King of nations? For to thee it doth it appertain, for as much as among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms there is none like unto thee. So the context here, the reason for the command that's being given to not cut trees down and bring them to their home and decorate them is just the fact that there is no God like God. Right? There's no, no one like God. And so um, obviously what's going on here is the command is being given in response to other people setting up other gods, worshiping something other than God. And so Jeremiah's point is, don't do this, this heathen do this. There is only one God, and that is Jehovah. He goes on in 
sorry, not he, but in a, in a similar text in Isaiah, chapter 44, to, verses 9 to 10, um, Isaiah speaks about a carpenter who cuts down a tree, shapes it beautifully, and places it in his home to worship. And Isaiah is making this crazy point that what they're doing is they're taking this big log out of a tree and they're using some of it to heat their home. They're chopping some of it into pieces so that they can burn it so that they can heat their home. Some of it they're using to cook their food with. And then the other part they're shaping into an idol and putting it in their home and worshiping it and calling for it to save them. He's just making the point that that is insane. Why would you do that? But I think the practice here is the same practice being described in Jeremiah. That what they're doing is they're taking this tree, they're shaping it so that it's beautiful, and then they're making it an idol that they're worshiping. And so for us, we must understand that unless you're going into your family room and worshiping your Christmas tree and calling your Christmas tree out to save you, it's not the same practice being described in Jeremiah or Isaiah. But they would say that Christmas trees are evil. I also heard um, that Travis's dad won't have Christmas trees because they're fire hazards. (laughs) So that's hilarious because if you know uh, the Peters family, they don't always seem to be the most concerned about safety. (laughs) Um, Number three, third reason why Christmas should be kept away from Christians, according to some people, is that December 25th is likely not Jesus' birthday. You can almost say, certainly it's not Jesus' birthday. Um, A great deal uh, of study has been done on this subject. Um, They've looked at the climate in Israel and the practice of shepherds at different times in the year. And they say that during winter, during the Christ, what we celebrate this Christmas, shepherds would never be out with their flock at night at that time. It would be far too cold for the shepherd. Um, they, would, they would bring them into some kind of barn and keep them warm. And uh, um, based on this, they would say that it's just certainly not the wintertime that this is being described. They've also looked at um, dates of Roman censuses and when they've been taken. And so based on all those things, a lot of people say it's not, it's not December 25th. If God wanted us to celebrate it, he would have provided us a date. And it just so happens that December 25th corresponds to a pagan Roman festival in the 4th century that celebrated the birth of Mithra, a false Roman deity. So this just happens to be the day that Christians chose in the 4th century to celebrate, 4th, 5th century, to celebrate Christmas time or the birth of the Messiah. And so they'd say, it's just, it's just a bad idea. Jesus was not born on December 25th, highly unlikely. All you're doing is you're taking a Roman festival and, and celebration of the birth of Mithra and putting Jesus' name there, and, and it's, it's just so inaccurate. And they'd say, might even go so far to say that it is dishonest. It's dishonest to say that December 25th is the date of Jesus' birthday and and understand that most people around the world that hear Christians say that believe that we sincerely think or that we know that it's December 25th when in fact it's probably not. Number four. I was just going to say something. In those days, it was the lunar calendar. Yep. So a lunar calendar is entirely different than a... um, Gregorian, yep. So how can you pick out a date? So the question is, in the 4th century, did they switch over to the um, solar calendar then? 
I don't think, well, the Gregorian calendar was in the 6th or 7th century that it was fully instituted. So they wouldn't, they wouldn't have had the exact same calendar that, that we use. I think they had started using more of dates then. Um, but that's a great point. And so part of the point is that we actually couldn't even know otherwise. But um, we would know that this is kind of winter time and it's not likely that shepherds would have been there. So that's the only way you can you can say December probably doesn't make sense. You take a look at Easter, and when do we celebrate Easter? It's mm-hmm. according to a uh, lunar calendar. Yep. So Christmas, like sometimes we celebrate uh, Easter very early in March, mm-hmm. or in March sometimes. Mm-hmm. Well, that would shift that date back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other thing is, is when you come right down to it in a, in a lunar calendar, sometimes there were 12 months in that year, and sometimes there were 13 months. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. all I'm saying is, this is really confusing. <laughs> Yo, you're right. It is. <laughs> Thanks for making it worse. Um, yeah, no, and Tom, you're, you're absolutely right. That when, when we look at this issue, we just, it's a big question mark, right? Date of Jesus' actual birth? Huh. We don't know. Really don't know. And so should we be putting a date to it and celebrating it on that date every year as if we know that's when it happened? Well, some people would say no, and so we shouldn't celebrate Christmas. Others would say it's not really the date we're celebrating, it's what happened. It's the coming of Christ. That's what we're celebrating. So, um, number four, they would say that birthday celebrations are evil. That all birthday celebrations are evil. That God would not have us celebrate anybody's birthday, um, let alone his son's birthday. So they would say, even if we did know the date for sure, God would not want us to celebrate. Jewish celebrations and Jewish feasts were given by God to direct their attention to spiritual truths, to remind them of what he had done for them in the past, and to point forward to the coming of Christ. So so God gave all of these celebrations for a reason, a specific reason. And if he wanted us to have a birthday celebration for Jesus, then he would have given it to us clearly. Obviously, he didn't do that. And they would say that there are two birthday celebrations in the entire Bible. Does anybody know that? Two birthday celebrations in the Bible? Herod's birthday when he had John the Baptist beheaded. Herod's birthday had the John, ba- John the Baptist beheaded and somebody else. Somebody else died on it. Chief Baker. Pharaoh. Yeah, so, so we have two birthday celebrations in the Bible, and on both birthday celebrations, somebody is killed. This is part of like the festivities, is, is taking the head off John the Baptist, or having a, a young girl dance for you. And so they would say, when we look at birthday celebrations in the Bible, it's really not a pretty picture. It's, not, it's never commended, and the only ones we have are pretty evil, so avoid them. Number five, Christmas has become a secular holiday. We just mentioned the fact that, that in this room, there are more people that know about Black Friday than know about Advent. And that's just, just to say, um, I'm, certainly there's more people that know about Christmas than Black Friday. Probably it's close because um, Black Friday is the day you shop for Christmas, right? But that, the, that's the whole point. That Christmas has become so secularized that we know the, the right shopping days. We, we know all of these things. We know where to go for the parade and where to go for the kids to see Santa. And we, we know all of these things a, a lot of times more than the Christmas story. Um, we, go ahead. Um, just wondering, Advent, is that a Roman Catholic thing? Because I never really heard about Advent. Yeah. Up in the church. 
Yeah, no, I'll, like uh, some Protestant denominations still celebrate it. So it's not specifically Roman Catholic, um, but there are a lot of Protestant denominations that don't celebrate it. So the Roman Catholic Church probably celebrated it first, and some said, no, this is still a good thing. And, and I would almost say that it's definitely not a bad thing. Like, I don't see anything evil about celebrating Advent, so, yeah. Um, wasn't the, the practice of Roman Catholics when they go into an area to incorporate pagan rituals into their <clears throat> type of worship? Yep. I think that's where we're getting a lot of this, Yeah. you know, Christmas. And yeah, but that, that, that even happened before it was really Christianity was Roman Catholicized. So Christmas was kind of decided, I know that they would bring the lineage of popes back all the way to Peter, but really it's like the 4th, 5th century that you have the true, uh, actual first pope that's on the scene. And so Christmas was being celebrated by that time among general Christians all over the place. Um, so, but you're absolutely right. That was, that was a practice of Roman Catholicism and Christianity for, well, it has been the practice to take some, if they go into a place, they Christianize whatever holiday that they are uh, faced with in that culture. And so there is a, a song that's written by Ross King called Macy's Parade. And I don't know if you, Ross King is the one that, that wrote Hallelujah for the Cross. He wrote some of the songs that we um, sing and that I'd like to introduce to the church in the future. I think he's a great writer. And this song is just like a great take on Christmas and what it actually is compared to Christmas and what it's been made to. I was actually going to play it for you this morning and I forgot to set it up. But um, maybe if we have time at the end, I'll put it on so you can listen to it when you leave. Um, but the, the song goes, um, Floating Star, A Pregnant Virgin... Random angels appearing and scaring folks. So bizarre. And then there's the wise men. Pagan astrology led them to you. Smelly barn, can you imagine? A king is born in a place where the animals went to the bathroom. Can you imagine? But that's how it happened. It's a far cry from Macy's parade. The only way the world can embrace such a holiday is to turn it into something it never was. Here comes Santa Claus stealing your thunder to fuel his career. <laughs> and it really does a good job of pulling out like the secularization of, of a holiday that was originally so Christian and how different actual Christmas is, the celebration of Jesus' coming, than what, what we celebrate today. And we have to recognize that this has crept into churches, that this is almost fully embraced by churches, but fully embraced by Christians. It's like we, we really do have the secular holiday on the same day as a Christian holiday, and we're completely okay with that. And we do both, right? And so um, they would say, well, because it's been so secularized, we need to be very careful. Christmas has been commercialized, and we, have, we bought into the commercials, right? We love them. And so they'd, be, they'd say, some Christians would say, that's a reason not to celebrate it. Number six, last one, is Santa Claus. Santa Claus is a mythical figure. And certainly I understand that St. Nicholas, that there's some, some founding in history, but the vast majority of people don't know Claus was St. Nicholas and that became Santa Claus. Uh, most people don't know that history. Most people don't know that he was just supposed to be a nice guy who was a saint who was really kind to kids most of the time. Okay? The whole beard, red suit, all of that is fictional. And that's what most people know about him. And so we have this mythical character who is omniscient. And he knows your thoughts, right? He's omnipotent. He's, he's seeing everything. He sees everything you do. 
Um, he's omnipotent. He's able to, to be, well, essentially omnipotent. I mean, I don't know how else you get to all these places in one night. Time zones. <laughs> yes. Uh, that's, how the, that's how the parents keep it going for another year or two. Um, he, seems, he seems pretty omnibenevolent, right? He's, he's just loving to everybody all the time. Uh, he's a judge. He judges whether you're good or bad. He's the, a giver of good gifts. I mean, you, you start to look at the qualities of Santa and you say, yeah, that actually sounds somewhat like the deity we worship. And, but he's a mythical figure. He's just kind of a, a made-up character that we have at, at Christmas time. And par- parents lie to their kids about Santa Claus, or at least allow them to believe a lie for, for so long. And then eventually they say, oh, by the way, this part about Christmas, it's not true. This part's true. This mythical part, or this supernatural part, it is true. But this supernatural part, it's, it's not true. And it, they would say that it's just it's teaching parents to lie to their children. Um, and it teaches children not to trust what their parents say about the supernatural things, and it teaches children materialism, right? What do you, what do you really celebrate when you celebrate Santa Claus? You celebrate the fact that he's giving you stuff. Um, we did a, a Christmas thing yesterday with the kids, and we did some of them, and it's, it's really fun to ask kids questions about Christmas. And I would, I would advise you to go home, if you know kids or grandkids or whatever, then sit them down and just start asking them questions about Christmas. And because there's some things that they think that are completely not right. There's some things that they, they you, you think that they would know and they don't know, but there sometimes that they know a whole lot about Santa Claus and less than you would expect about the Christian Christmas story. And that's not to say that you're evil because you've taught your kids about Santa Claus, but it's just to say that uh, we got to understand that our kids are hearing what our culture says and maybe they're not hearing loud enough what we want them to hear. Um, <laughs> that was a uh, rude awakening for me in a couple of cases as well. So, um, anyways, it, uh, it just, it's, the whole idea of Santa Claus distracts from Christ. That's what a lot of people would say. And so, they would go on finally to say, has anybody ever tried to rearrange the letters of Santa? Satan. <laughs> and so, based on these six reasons, um, Christians should avoid Christmas because of the pagan origins, because Christmas trees are evil, because December 25th is likely not Jesus' birthday, because birthday celebrations themselves are evil, because Christmas has become secular, and because of Santa Claus or Satan. So, how now are Christians to think biblically, right? You might have been convinced already and you've just decided that you're never celebrating Christmas again. And that's fine if you get there, but I would advise you to hold off your final judgment until we try and build a theological framework for celebrating holy days. So I want to give you five points here. Number one, celebrating holy days should not become legalistic traditions. Here's some principles that will guide us in our celebrating of holy days, including Christmas. They should not become legalistic traditions. Look at Galatians chapter 4. And in Galatians chapter 4, Paul is going to speak to this very specifically about celebrating holy days. Um, and, and what you find here is not him condemning holy days straight out or, or not celebrating certain days as just an evil thing. 
but he is condemning people who are putting too much stock in them, too much emphasis on them when they become something more than just a day to remember an event. Galatians chapter 4 verse 3 says, Even so, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them which were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. It begins by making the argument that you don't need to be tied to these laws, to be the, these, this, these elements of the world, whether religion or the world's philosophy, that, that bring you into bondage, but that you're free and that your God is, your, is now Father. Um, verse number 8. How be it then, when you knew not God, you did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now... After you have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn you again to the weak and the beggarly elements, whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Paul's saying that he would have labored in vain. He would have brought the gospel to them in vain if they attached too much emphasis to these holy days, where these days became almost salvific. These days became something that were more than just a day to remember an event. And so we cannot allow ourselves to be brought in bondage. I would say that this means that um, Christmas cannot be the central focus in all of our worship experience. It can't be like, like part of your Christianity is that you just can't wait for the one day that you're filled with with emotion and joy and peace because it's now Christmas Day and then we've got to wait until Easter for the next time that happens, right? It can't be the center. You're in a relationship with God every day. And maybe that's a day where you emphasize your, your gratitude for Him coming to the earth. Maybe we, we can do that. But we can't make this some kind of like legalistic tradition that we have to live by and we have to celebrate this way and do these things in order for certain grace to be bestowed on us. They cannot become the spiritual high that we wait for until the next holiday. They should not be over-traditionalized or ritualized. Okay? Those uh, pagan holidays that we're referring to, because in Leviticus 23, God outlines His holy day. Mm -hmm. And the Sabbath was a holy day. Mm -hmm. It was a day that we did not do any work, that you you worship the Lord. You look forward to that day. Like, it's a holy day that should be observed by everyone. Now, in our, in our culture, we do that on the first day of the week instead of the last day of the week. Yep. And I have to tell you that I look forward to Sunday every week. It's mm-hmm. something that I look forward to. Um, mm-hmm. That is a holy day. Mm-hmm. But that's not the only holy days. Like the Leviticus 23 outlines all the special days. Yep. And they... And they always relate to something that has happened that's significant or things that will happen mm-hmm. that are going to be significant in, mm-hmm. in the world history. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right, Tom. You're right. Um, God gave us the holy days for a reason. Okay? And, and obviously what we're trying to do as Christians is we're trying to say, okay, how do we fit um, our Christian celebrations into 
the biblical framework because in the Old Testament, God gave them specific holidays. In the New Testament, we've kind of um, attached very special significance to December 25th, not in the New Testament, it, it, since the New Testament. And, and so we're trying to figure out how, like, can we do this the right way? Right? I, I hope that makes sense. But your point is right, that um, God gave these, but, but they're not, they were never meant to be um, followed in a way that made us to be slaves to them, right? God gave them to us um, for our benefit. I think what we're uh, I think what we're doing is like we have we have our own traditions, and I think in the New Testament it talks about uh, uh, you know Christ really challenged the traditions of the Pharisees, mm-hmm. and, and what we need to do is get back to a, a biblical idea of what what God's holidays what what the holy days are and how they are to be celebrated and I'll I'll be quiet from now on. No, you're good. You're good. No, I, I appreciate the comments and I think um my point number four is kind of gonna say something along those lines. So um hopefully we're thinking along the same mindset. Um okay number two Christians are free to celebrate holy days if their conscience will allow them to. In Romans chapter 14, Paul, Romans chapter 14 is just a, a wonderful topic to address um, relations with one another as far as us all coming from different backgrounds and coming together to worship God in a church and what should be done, what shouldn't be done, whose voice should be, we be listening to. So Romans chapter 14 verse 1 says, Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. What he's saying is, if there's somebody that's weak in the faith, don't kick them out because they're weak in the faith. Well, what does it mean to be weak in the faith? Well, he goes on to explain that the person that's weak in the faith is the one that actually has a hypersensitive conscience over issues and, and certain meets and certain days that they actually are free to celebrate, but now they think that they're not free to celebrate. So their conscience is telling them no, but the Bible would not say no. Their conscience has more rules than the Bible would have for them. And so Paul is going to teach us what to do with that person, because a lot of us would say, well, if if you have more rules than the Bible, then you should get rid of all your rules. And that's actually not what Paul says to do here. But he does say that those that are weaker in the faith don't receive them to doubtful disputations. In other words, don't get into foolish arguments with them. Don't put them on the platform and let them have their say so that you can get up and have your say. Those people should stay quiet. Now, they, they, can, they can stay and they can be here, but they don't need to be the ones that are always voicing their opinion and trying to convince everyone. So don't receive them, but not if it's going to mean fighting all the time about silly things. He, begin, he continues in verse 4. It says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth... Sorry, I'm reading wrong. Okay, verse 4. Who art... Thou that judge another man's servant, to his own master he stands or falls. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regards the day regards it to the Lord. He that regards not the day to the Lord, he does not regard it. He that eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he that eats not, to the Lord he eats not, and, give, and gives God thanks. 
For none of us lives to himself, and no man dies to himself. See what the point that Paul is making there? Is that this is an issue between you and God. It's not for me to judge you. It's not for me to decide what you can and cannot do. This is our individual soul liberty that we will all stand before God, that we live before God. We don't live for other people. And so it is up to ourselves, our being persuaded in our mind, our conscience, telling us what we should and should not do. He goes on in verse number 8, sorry, in verse number um, 12, and, so, and says, So every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. And what he's saying there is he's saying, don't force your brother to do something that would defile their conscience. It would violate what they think is right and wrong. And so what, what we don't do is we don't say, every single person has to celebrate Christmas just as I celebrate Christmas. And we don't say, and you can't celebrate Christmas the way that you celebrate Christmas. We don't even say you have to celebrate. If somebody chooses not to come to Christmas services, that is their prerogative, right? And we're not supposed to do something that's going to defile their conscience. However, it does seem that Christians are free to celebrate Holy Days if their conscience will allow them to. So, unless we can determine that this is clearly wrong in Scripture, that, that, that biblical principles would forbid us from celebrating Christmas, that it's clear, then we should allow our conscience to dictate those decisions and allow the freedom for others to do the same. Number three. Yeah, absolutely. Another interesting point in Romans 14 is that the weak um, condemns mm-hmm. and the, the, the strong is wrong as well when he looks down on it. Yeah. You know? Yep, absolutely. You know, sometimes we think, oh, the condemner is so bad and, and he's weak. But even the strong is wrong mm-hmm. when he looks down and says, yeah. they, they can't do that. Yeah. What is this? You know? <clears throat> Paul, you're absolutely right. And what's interesting is because the way you just said it is that you think sometimes people overemphasize the idea that the weak are condemned. But I've been in many situations where it's actually the other way around, where um, th- those that are actually have what, what the Bible would call a stronger conscience are the ones that are always expected to do everything to change, and they're always the ones that are in the wrong, and the people with the weak consciences are actually the ones that are celebrated. And that's not right either, because in Romans 14, Paul is putting a, a, a command or a burden on both the strong and the weak. And the idea is, the weak people don't... don't um, talk, don't expect it to be your way, don't um, be the ones that are always trying to convince other people of, of what they're doing is wrong. Okay, you guys stay quiet, and for you strong, don't force those weak people to do something that they're not comfortable with. But there is, like all of us have something to do in that passage. Good point. Number three, Christ's death and resurrection allows us to celebrate without fear of breaking God's law. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 to 17 says, You, being dead in your sins and in uncircumcision of your flesh, has he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing them, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore, so 
But based on the fact that Christ has overcome all principalities and all powers and the law and all the ordinance that was against you, based on the fact that you have been forgiven and that you're free of that now, therefore, let no man judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is Christ. And once again, it, he's not saying to one group that you need to celebrate and, and, if you, and, and that all of you who don't celebrate, you're wrong. He's actually giving freedom to both sides here. Don't let anybody condemn you for celebrating a holy day or not celebrating a holy day, for eating the meat or not eating the holy meat, the, the unholy meat or whatever. Okay? He's not making um, a command to do one or the other. He's giving you freedom to, to do what your conscience tells you to do. And the freedom is, is, comes from the fact that Christ has died, rose again, and overcome the law. Number four, Jesus is, the, is in the habit of Christianizing holy days. And Tom, I think this speaks a little bit of what you were saying. So what, what Christ did when he came, and certainly we understand that, that God doing this is a little bit different, because God established these days in the first place for a purpose. So when Christ came and he changed the holy days into what they are now, what he was doing is actually fulfilling what they were, what the purpose was originally, and now now altering it in a way that it, it fully um, celebrates what it was supposed to be. So, in the example of Passover, we have the, the uh, Jews celebrating the fact that God passed over them, that spared their lives and delivered them from Egypt. Egypt being the picture of sin, and now they've been delivered from this sin and this sinful place, and they've been saved and their lives were spared. All of these things are a picture of what Christ did. They're pointing forward. So for, for so many years, they celebrate that God saved them from Egypt. And now Christ comes and He is the Passover lamb. He's the one whose blood is spilled so they can have not just salvation from the Egyptians, but eternal salvation from the judgment of God. And so what He has done is He's, he's um, fully realized what these holidays were really originally about. But having said that, what he did in a lot of these cases is in a lot of people's minds, he changed it from a Jewish celebration, a Jewish festival, a Jewish um, holiday, holy day, to a Christian holy day. Even as Tom mentioned, the idea that we celebrate the first day of the week, that was changed. It used to be Saturday, last day of the week. It was a rest day. Now Christ rose again on the first day of the week, so we celebrate as Christians his... Um, resurrection by having our services on the first day of the week. And so a lot of things have changed. Christ is in the habit of changing them, meaning that just he, he's okay with that. It, it's, it's not, it doesn't seem like a negative thing. And Mr. Manning said that when they went into pagan cultures, a lot of times they would um, take a, a day that they celebrated one thing and they would be, make it a Christian holiday. Now there are two ways to do that, right? One way is you adopt most of the practices that are there and then you just like put a Christian spin on it. But what a lot of times happened is they would say, well, this is, you're celebrating this this day. We're not going to celebrate that with you. But what we are going to do is we're going to celebrate this. And so Christians would gather together to celebrate something new, something greater than what they're celebrating, right? And, and I see those as two different ways of looking at a situation. And the second way of saying we're going to celebrate this on this day I don't see anything wrong with that. 
Steve? I know people, Christians, friends of ours, they do not uh, celebrate Christmas, but they celebrate Passover. There is that connection, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That what you just explained. Yeah, some, some Christians that celebrate... Yeah. yeah, and so now we would, we would say that Passover has kind of become like the, the communion service, right? He took, took the, that Passover meal and he made it into a, a, the Lord's Supper, right? So, just because something was once for another purpose or, or even was ritually impure, as the case with meats that they used to not be allowed to eat, that now God said, Peter, you can eat. Just because it used to be ritually impure does not mean it remains so. Number five, Christians should be aware of the danger of secularizing Christian holy days. So when I look at this whole situation of Christmas, it doesn't bother me that at one point somebody used Christmas trees in their celebration or, uh, of worshiping idols. It doesn't bother me that, that at some point trees were decorated for the, the wrong purpose. It doesn't bother me that it happens to correspond with the day of Mithra's birthday in the, the Romans would celebrate. Those things really don't bother me because I really think there is not an ounce of me in those days that is celebrating anything like that. What bothers me more is the secularizing of a Christian holy day. It bothers me more when Christians start doing everything the world does, and we have our focus in the same direction as the world, and we're losing our focus on what we're saying it's all about. And so we'll put a sign in our lines that say, Christmas is about Christ. But if you were to see anything else in that person's life over Christmas, you'd be like, do they really think that? Or is Christmas about Christ and Santa and gifts and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Well, what are we to do? Are we just going to eliminate gift giving? No. I mean, we can use gift giving to celebrate the greatest gift that was given. But maybe we shouldn't just make that what Christmas is all about for our kids. Maybe we shouldn't overemphasize that. Like, can't you wait to get your presents? It's like, no, let's like talk about the greatest gift of all for a bit. Let's talk about maybe the, the reason why we give presents. Um, when it comes to something like Santa Claus, I mean, personally, we don't do Santa in our house. I don't, you go ahead and do it if you want to. But if, if your emphasis, if your kids are getting so excited about Santa and they don't care about Jesus coming, there's probably an issue and one that we might be contributing to. And so I would be more concerned with the secularizing of a Christian holy day than I would be with how we got there in the first place, Right? I think that there is a good and right way to take things that used to be evil and wrong and then to now celebrate something that is good and right. And I think that's actually what what Christianity does. We go into a dark place and we bring light. We bring truth. We bring what's right. And it's okay for us to do that. But I think it's a bad idea if we bring light to this thing and then we start adding darkness all, all, all over it again. Right? So... Those are the five principles that I thought of. I'm sure you could think for another while and come up with five or ten more um, that would guide you in your thinking about celebrating holy days, celebrating Christmas. Um, but hopefully those will help. Just how you think about this Christmas season. Advent starts today. So if you want to just say these 40 days, no, four weeks, these um, 28 days, I'm going to take to prepare myself and to be in gratitude. I think that's a great thing to do. Why not? All right? Is there any final comments? No? Good? 
Everybody okay? Was it more controversial than you expected? No? Okay. Well, it did open up a few things that I maybe consider a little controversial is the, the Jewish feasts and all those, celebrating those, because I know that I've come across people that want to revive all those Jewish mm -hmm. feasts and practice them regularly so that they say so that they understand all the, the Old Testament things and what they're pointing to. Um, but the danger is that it can become something that's almost our whole focus again rather than Christ. Right. Yeah, I would say, um, I think the Jerusalem Council probably dealt with that a little bit, where um, do they have to become Jewish, essentially, to be saved? And he said the, the, the idea was no. There were f um, four points that were made, like they shouldn't drink blood and they shouldn't um, eat. Uh, and, it, and so they had four little things that kind of went along with it. But it wasn't that they have to become Jewish. It was just more to, to avoid um, continuing in their pagan religion and adding Christ to it. That was that was the only so, yeah. I think that that's is an interesting thought, but I I don't think that the Gentile believers now felt like they needed to celebrate everything Jewish. All right, thanks everyone.